Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, so a quick note before we start. In case you didn't catch the title of the show, we'll be hearing from a victim of sexual abuse. Our guest tells us his story and what happened to him. So now is your time to decide if you want to keep listening, as some may find this story difficult to hear. All right, let's get on with the show. The scourge of child sex abuse within the Catholic Church has been well documented over the past few years. And a few months back, I had the Maryland Attorney General, Anthony Brown, on this very show to talk about his office's report that documented more than 600 victims of sexual assault at the hands of priests, seminarians, and deacons within the Catholic Archdiocese of Baltimore. You know, some of them involve physical abuse, some of them literally torture, Mm. emotional and psychological abuse, sexual abuse for, for sure. And now, members of the Survivor Network of Those Abused by Priests, an organization known as SNAP, They're calling on the Archdiocese of Washington to release the names of known abusers. Here's Interim Executive Director for SNAP, Mike McDonald. We need more names exposed. We we see so many individuals that just have never seen the name of their perpetrator. We're calling on uh, Archbishop Gregory to, to do the next right thing and get those names of perpetrators on the list so that society can be aware. But when I reached out to the archdiocese, they're saying that they've got this issue of child sex abuse under control. Courtney Chase is the executive director of Child Protection Environment at the Archdiocese of Washington. She says that the church has new guidelines that properly prevents abuse from happening. When we get a report, when I get a report of abuse, whether it's historic or current, it is immediately reported to the appropriate jurisdictions. And that way it prevents any sort of cover up. Now, Mike McDonald with SNAP denies that these changes within the archdiocese are enough. We hear each and every church official say they are being truthful and transparent, and yet time and time again, every secular report tells us differently. And ultimately, no shift in posture by the church or change even in the laws surrounding these cases of sexual abuse can eliminate the wounds left behind by decades of unchecked sexual assault. The victims and the survivors have to carry this with them forever. That's something longtime reporter and current WTOP employee Dan Ronan knows very well. I I kept it in and uh, I said, I'm never going to tell anybody about this because who's going to believe an 11-year-old kid? On the show, Ronan tells us his story and how Father Thomas Gannon sexually abused him when he was 11 years old in Chicago. Ronan also talks about why Gannon was never punished for this abuse and later went on to become a respected professor at Georgetown University here in the D.C. area. Ronan walks us through this trauma and shares how he ultimately found peace 50 years later. Dan, welcome to the DMV Download Podcast, and thank you for your willingness to share your story here. You know, I imagine it's not an easy thing to do. It's uh, had its challenges, but... uh... I feel better about it. I feel, uh, you know, that the time is right in my life and hopefully for others who have been in uh, these unfortunate circumstances to talk about it. So let's chat. Mm. 
So, you know, let's really start with your childhood and where you grew up and what role the Catholic Church kind of played in your upbringing. I grew up in a wonderful neighborhood in Chicago called Rogers Park, about three miles south of Wrigley Field. And it was a a neighborhood of uh, Irish and German and Italian and Polish and Lithuanian, uh, many of them immigrants. My father was an immigrant from Ireland, came over in the uh, the mid-1950s. And a lot of big families. Gosh, I was just thinking about this. We had like 26 kids school age just living on my block in the city block in Chicago. Mm. And the church, Luke, was the centerpiece of the St. Jerome's, which was a couple blocks from the house, is this big Catholic cathedral. The church was very important. I mean, the scouts troop was there. We had a parish council that my grandfather was a member of. My my grandfather was an usher at the church, and my grandparents lived a half a block away from us. So we were one big extended family with, at the time, five children in my family. We were between the ages of 11 and five. So it was a big Irish Catholic family. Mm, you know, and I think these days there's been a secularization, you know, more broadly in society. But, you know, for people, maybe young people who are listening— you know, the church just dominated social life, you know, in some sectors, and it seems like it did really for you in, in the community and family you grew up in. Always. Uh, church on Sunday was a regular occurrence. We, we didn't miss church on Sunday. And then going to a, a Catholic elementary school, sometimes we would go during the middle of the week. Uh, you know, Tuesdays or Wednesdays, there'd be a, a half hour uh, short mass that we would go to, and there'd be uh, communion, of course, confession, confirmations. Uh, and I was an altar boy. I started becoming mm. an altar boy about the fifth grade. And uh, that was a big deal, being an altar boy at the, at the church. That was a big deal to be uh, to be up there and assisting and be uh, be part of the church and be part of the uh, part of the mass. It was a real big deal. Mm. You know, and just hearing you talk about this, you know, link between the church and society and family, there was this trust, as we're talking about, you know, that trust was really, you know, violated when you were sexually assaulted. Can you tell us about that tragic sure. incident? Sure. Uh, I was uh, saying Mass. It was a uh, late fall day. I remember it was after uh, the time change when we flipped the clock, so it got dark early. Mm. Uh, it got dark really early, and by 4.30, 5 o'clock, it was dark, and it was a 5 o'clock Mass. And a uh, couple things that were unusual about it. I had broken my arm when I was playing for the uh, school's youth football team. And uh, on that particular day, the other altar boy who was supposed to show up didn't show up. So it was just me. And, uh, you know, you and I have worked together now for almost a year. I'm not a particularly big adult. I'm a little on the, you know, slightly below average size in terms of an adult. But as a right. kid, I was a, I was a small, you know, I, I didn't really start to grow till I got to be like in the eighth grade and grew to my, my current height of about five, seven. So I was a rather small, not frail, but just kind of a, you know, kind of the runt of the, of the, of the school. Mm. And so I had a broken arm and I didn't have, I recall, I didn't have a particularly good mass. I had difficulty carrying things, but then again, I had my arm in a sling and right. uh, I had, I had a difficulty maneuvering things. And, uh, we had this priest who was there who was not a regular at St. Jerome. He was a, uh, a fill-in. He was actually a professor at Loyola University of Chicago, which was you know, this big Catholic university along the lakeshore. And he was on the faculty there mm. and he would come by and he would fill in, you know, whenever one of the regular priests had a day off or something. So uh, my grandfather had been an usher at that particular mass. He and I walked over to the church that day 
And uh, I went into the sacristy and, you know, put my vestments on and uh, Gramps, uh, who I'm actually named after, you know, did the collection plate thing and, uh, you know, took people up to their seats and everything. And so we, uh, we had the mass and, and I, like I said, I, I don't think I had a particularly good mass, but regardless, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, because what happened next was, was so horrific. I was in the uh, sacristy changing and cleaning up and, you know, wiping the chalice down and putting it away and just tidying things up back there because there would be no masses till Monday. And uh, this priest came into the sacristy and immediately was enraged with me. I mean, mm. just enraged, angry, yelling at me. And I, I couldn't quite figure out why. And I was, I was stunned and taken aback by it. And then he said he was going to try and spank me. And he, and grabbed me, he was a pretty big guy, as I remember, you know, and much older than I am. He's probably in his mid thirties at the time. And he, he grabbed me and held me very, very tight and very close to his body in, in, a, in a inappropriate hug and uh, started to grab around to the back of my pants. And then he took down his pants and all of a sudden there we are. And uh, he forced his hand, he forced my hand onto his uh, privates and uh, made me, you know, do whatever he wanted me to do with, with my hand. Now I'm in a cast, so I don't, I've only got one hand here. And he uh, grabbed his hand and put his hand down my pants as he was trying to spank me and hit me. And uh, I'm, there I was, you know, with the, uh, the privates of a, a 35-year-old man in my hands. Uh, and, uh, holding them. And, uh, he was obviously, uh, you know, I don't need to get into too many more details, but right. I think everybody knows where this goes. And remind and, us, uh, how old were you? I was 11. I was 11. I was in the sixth grade. I was, I was one of these kids that also, I started kindergarten Luke when I was four. So I was always the youngest kid in the class. Uh, you know, I started college real young. And so my, I was always younger than my classmates. That's the other thing. So I graduated from from uh, elementary school, junior high, I think I was 12 or 13 and then, you know, started high school at, at 13. So I was always the youngest one by six or eight months, mm. but I was 11. I had, I, I had a birthday coming up, but at the time I was 11 years old. Mm. And so how did you get out of there? Uh, sheer luck. Uh, sheer luck. I don't know how long this lasted. Time freezes and they say, well, what happens in these cases? Well, time really froze, completely froze. And I, don't know how long I was there. I remember that at one point he lost his balance. And as I said, he was a big obese guy. He lost his balance. And I don't know if he tripped over his trousers or his belt or whatever it was, or his, his, his undergarments. I don't know, but he, he lost his balance. And when he did, I took my cast and I sort of gave him a little forearm shiver, mm. you know, the old, uh, football players forearm shiver and just gave him a nudge and at 95 pounds and you know barely five feet i was able to just loosen his grip on me enough to where i was able to wiggle my way out of there and there was a door right behind uh right behind me and i went flying through the door and into this parking lot that was between the two schools. There were two buildings, the, the, the South building and the North building. And there was this big parking lot where they would park cars for Sunday mass. And I went into the parking lot, but it was fenced and it had a big high chain link fence, mm. uh, about eight feet high. 
And I remember getting to the gate and being terrified that the gate was going to be locked, that the janitor had locked the gate up and, and secured the property for the night, but he hadn't. So I, I just pushed the gate open and ran down the, uh, ran down the alley and then, uh, ran home and, uh, he never followed me. He never chased after me. I mean, it would have been difficult, you know, half naked man chasing a, an 11 year old boy through a parking lot, but, uh, he, he never followed me. And, uh, it only happened one time. Uh, there was only one occurrence, but I became withdrawn and I didn't go to school for a couple of days. And then, uh, I dropped out of being an altar boy. Uh, I'm sure my grades at school uh, suffered a little bit, but then I started to just try to push it out of my mind. I mean, mm. it, I was so traumatized by it. I, I, I said, I'm just going to force this out of my mind and I'm not going to deal with it and uh, just try to move on. We are hearing from Dan Ronan, a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of a Catholic priest that used to teach here at Georgetown University in DC. Coming up after the break, we'll hear more about Ronan's decade-long journey through depression and how he was able to heal. Stick around. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest-growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. And we're back. Dan, you know, you just told us this really difficult story and reality that you had to live through. Tell us what happened next. You know, were you able to talk to anyone about this, you know, when you were 11 years old? Or was it something you had to kind of hold in and push down? Priests were revered. And to a certain extent, they are, even in some quarters now. And, and I don't mean to diminish all of them. I mean, there's a lot of good priests who do fabulous work and nuns who do fabulous work. But I did. I, I kept it in. And uh, I said, I'm never going to tell anybody about this because who's going to believe an 11-year-old kid? Mm. Who's going to believe an 11-year-old boy in those circumstances? Nowadays, yeah, and, you know, 2020, 2021, the Me Too movement, yeah, they'll, they'll start an investigation. They'll check it out. There'll probably be security cameras all over the building. Yeah, I got a pretty good chance that people would believe my story. But in 1971, no way. And so I just, uh, I just didn't tell anybody. And, uh, it, I'll describe it this way. It's kind of like a beach ball. You fill a beach ball up with air. It doesn't weigh anything, a couple ounces, mm. but go down to a body of water and try to hold the beach ball underwater. This, just this light little object, try to hold the beach ball underwater and you will become so exhausted mm. In such a period of time, you will become so exhausted. And that's, you try to compartmentalize it. You try to lock it up. You try to uh, put another lock around it. You try to do that. But it impacts you in all your relationships with people and how you function and how you interact with people. And it becomes, it becomes a real problem. And I didn't even realize it, that it was becoming a problem in my life till about four or five years ago. I mean, I, 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 I was, you know, having difficulty in, uh, you know, I, I had gotten a divorce and I was having 
some difficulties in my personal life. And I really wasn't quite sure what was causing mm. this uncomfortable feeling that I was dealing with every day. And, uh, then something happened and it, uh, it sort of unlocked, the uh, unlocked everything and, and has given me some idea of what was going on. And if you're willing to share, you know, with us, you know, what, what really un- unlocked that? I was, I was going through a difficult period back, you know, 2016, 2017, maybe it's a little more than seven years ago, six years ago. And I was going through a difficult period in my, in my life. And I, I was going through a divorce and I, I Googled this guy's name mm. and I, I Googled his name and there was a story in the Georgetown University student newspaper, the Hoya. And I don't remember the exact headline of the story, but it was something like uh, ex-Georgetown professor linked to a uh, child pedophile ring in Chicago or something like that. And I, you know, I'm a reporter, so I'm reading the story and all right. of a sudden I scroll down and there's his picture. And it turns out he had been a professor at Georgetown, quite respected, very well-respected fella uh, at Georgetown and uh, had been, you know, moved around the country at a couple of universities and had been on the faculty in the psychology department. And uh, I said, uh, okay, now I, now I understand what's going on. Mm. So I called, I called the archdiocese in Chicago and I talked to a lady who's just shows you the state of the world we're in. Uh, I talked to a lady who is the uh, uh, sex crimes investigator for the, for the archdiocese. And, uh, I talked with her and I gave her the name. I said, uh, she said, well, what's the guy's name? And I said, Gannon. And there was this long pause, Luke. I mean, it seemed like an eternity. It was an awkward length pause. Mm. And I said, uh, are you there? And she said, uh, yes. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, we've got quite a file on this fella. Mm. And uh, his file went back to 1956, 1957, when he was first introduced to the priesthood. And he had been molesting boys uh, in Cleveland and Chicago at Loyola university where he was on the faculty. And, uh, he had quite, uh, quite a reputation as, as a really, really mean, awful guy. Mm. And, you know, as a survivor of, you know, such an assault, you know, how do you think about the Catholic church, you know, now and, and has justice been served and what needs to be done? I know it's a big question. Well, the Illinois attorney general and the AG in Maryland and some other States, Pennsylvania, uh, are are doing the best they can to try and clean this up. And, and, and I think the church is too, to a certain extent. My feelings towards the church, uh, most days it's ambivalence. I believe there's a God. I believe that there's a, 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 a benevolent God that's out there that loves us, that cares for us, that wants the best for us. But I'm, I'm a bit angry at him, if, or if not, maybe not angry, a bit confused at how... Uh, someone who is uh, his employee, so to speak, uh, was a really, really bad guy. And it's not just, you know, I'm one in Illinois of almost 2,000, mm. uh, 2000 you know, survivors that the AG's office mentioned in this report. Um, Baltimore, there's six or 700. I mean, Pennsylvania, there's a couple thousand. So I'm, I'm not alone. Yeah. There's, there's thousands of us. Uh, I'm ambivalent. I, I realize that the church does some really great work for people. I mean, for my grandfather, uh, the church was fabulous in his, in his life. He was a, you know, it was a centerpiece of his life for my mom and dad and the, towards the end of their life, uh, the church was fabulous in helping them 
with the end of life planning and with all the things. And they're, they're actually, uh, my grandparents and my brother and my, my, uh, mom and dad are, you know, buried in Catholic cemeteries. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they're, they're in perpetual care of, of the, of the church forever. So, you know, so the church does a lot of really good things, but they let some really, really awful people in, uh, you know, probably, you know, going back to the 1920s, a hundred years ago. Mm. And, uh, they, they didn't clean, they didn't clean their own house. They didn't take care of their own business. And, uh, now they're having to pay the price for it. They're having to, they're dealing with lawsuits. They're dealing with uh, bad publicity. They're dealing with the traumatization that, uh, folks like me and others have had to deal with. And, uh, it's sad because the church should be a real beacon of God's work. And yet it's been so sullied by, by these really, really bad, awful people. And, the church and the leadership of the church let these guys run amok. They let them, they let them run around. They let them do their thing. And it was, that's the horror. That's, that's even a bigger crime. Mm. Now, you know, 10 years out from when you started really being able to speak out about this and tell your story and, you know, stop suppressing that beach ball underwater, but hold it up. You know, tell us about that part of the journey of, you know, being able to talk about it. How has that impacted you? Well, I, I want to try and help, you know, folks who are in the circumstances that I'm in. I realize that as someone who's been in the media for all his adult life, uh, I can make a pretty compelling, you know, podcast or interview or mm. whatever the case may be, and I can explain it. But there's a lot of folks who don't have the opening to the media. They don't have the... Uh, you know, the, the skill set to, to sit in front of a microphone and talk about it. And, or, and they're also not at a certain point in their recovery either, but there is help available. I mean, therapy for me has been, has been magnificent. It's, mm-hmm. it's really helped uh, having uh, a partner in my life and someone who understands the moodiness, the, the anger, all those things has really made an enormous difference. That's been real helpful. And that, that's something that makes a difference, but there's there's help out there, but you got to go out for it and look for it. And in my case, I just, you know, the old joke about or the old line, excuse me, when uh, people talk about addiction, you know, you just you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. Uh, well, I was sick and tired of it. I was sick and tired of being moody. I was sick and tired of being depressed. I was sick and tired of feeling angry. And I just said, uh, I can't keep living like this. I can't keep, I can't keep letting a dead guy in an incident of five or 10 or 15 minutes. I can't let that define who I am. And that's, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Before this interview, you and I were like talking and you talked about, you know, recurring nightmare that you used to have, you know, does that nightmare still haunt you? Well, it's, it's pretty much gone. And, and that is, uh, for the listeners, uh, that I'm being chased out of the parking lot, that I'm being chased through that parking lot on a dark evening and I'm being chased through the parking lot and he's chasing me and he's, he's, he's screaming at me. And, you know, and usually before he would catch me, I would wake up in a, you know, sweating and crying and, you know, shaking. It hasn't happened in a while. And, and I, 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 and sometimes it, you know, I'll find myself thinking about it and I say, you know, he's, he's a dead guy. Don't, don't go there. Don't, uh, you know, don't, don't allow him to, uh, to get into your head. And that's, that's the way I go about it. And Dan, 
Have you had the chance since to speak with church leaders about your story and what they're doing now to protect victims in the church and bring justice against abusers? Well, Luke, I had a chance a couple of months ago to meet with both Cardinal Gregory and Cardinal uh, Supich in Chicago. And I think that uh, they're trying to get to the bottom of this, but it's a very difficult uh, it's a very difficult problem. It's very, very uh, challenging. It's, you know, bankrupting the church in some areas. Buffalo, New York filed for bankruptcy. Milwaukee filed for bankruptcy. Um, it's costing them a lot of money, and it should. But uh, I, I, I really do think that the church does do a lot of good things, but they've got to clean this up, and they've got to come to grips with it. Well, Dan, thank you so much for sharing your story, just how poised you are and how you are able to tell this story in such in such a way where you know it's truthful, it's honest, and it's it's really inspiring. I'm sure for so many victims. Dan, thanks again. My pleasure. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Let us know how we're doing on this show. You can rate and review on your favorite podcast platform or give us some stars. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. You can also listen online at WTOP.com and on our WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday. Wednesday.